it's really super smart to talk to lawyers, but particularly accountants and small business accountants, in my experience, who've been around the block for a few decades, have seen a lot of things come and go and they will have seen patterns and they can pass those patterns on to you. We are Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Today's sponsor is Eva, the most intelligent Amazon scaling toolkit online. Amazon sellers need exact, quick-to-read profit reports. Many sellers already pay a lot of money for these. Eva has world-class finance analytics with crystal-clear graphs included at no extra cost. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers, averaging a 51% increase in profits. To get a 15-day free trial, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com ba.com forward slash eva some e-commerce business decisions have a big price to pay and worse they're not easily changed after you make them one of the worst of these is called the ladder trap and in this episode we're going to discuss the concept explain what it means how to avoid the nasty pernicious effects of stepping into the ladder trap and how to really untangle it if you've made such mistakes. So, Michael, are you ready to jump into this fun topic today? I am. I I like the mystery. So, obviously, I've got the benefit of having to talk to you about it, but uh, tell us what the ladder trap is. What is this mysterious thing? Sure. Yeah. Well, we've all heard the phrase, before you climb a ladder, make sure it's leaning against the right wall, that kind of idea or something along those lines. Usually, that's related to career, climbing the ladder or something like that. But in business operations and e-commerce in particular, we can play with that metaphor and extend it even further. And so I want to do that. I want to take that metaphor and kind of unpack it and apply it specifically to e-commerce in a few specific areas. And so so let me uh, let me just flesh it out for a moment. And then Michael, I love your, your commentary on this as well. So just imagine that you you climb a ladder and on each rung of that ladder, you have a positive outcome that increases with every step you go up, therefore making it harder to climb down or abandon that ladder or to reposition it somewhere else. The logical move in that case is to keep climbing the ladder. The problem with that is frequently we can get in these situations where we're four, five, six steps up a ladder and we realize we don't like this. We, we, you know, we're stuck, we're trapped. This is not where we want to be in our business. Now that's on the positive reinforcement side, like we're getting sort of this positive benefit and it's trapping us. The other angle on this is sometimes with ladder traps, you make a serious commitment or decision and it has massive economic consequence to you and you're stuck into it. And it's like the first rung on the ladder is a bear trap and it springs closed on your foot and you're on that ladder and you're not getting off easily. And so these are the ideas that we can play with as it relates to our e-commerce business and understanding how to deal with these big decisions and how to how to make sure that we don't get stuck in them unwisely. Definitely an important point. And and I think this is the sort of thing, if you've been in business for a few years, you're really going to 
resonate with this i think i certainly mm-hmm. as soon as you said that, i'm like oh wow yes this mm-hmm. this is actually really really important in my own businesses i've seen it in my clients businesses i remember you said something like be careful what rut you pick because you're going to be in a long time and i guess it relates to the habit two of the seven habits of highly effective people by stephen covey uh really solid book in terms of leadership principles i think and he mm-hmm. says begin with the end in mind and he says the difference between leadership and management in to use this metaphor is management's how to move up the ladder but leadership's making sure you positioned it against the right tree in the first place so mm-hmm. that's why the word leader which is part of our podcast title because we're both passionate about it it really is i think more important than you think it is on the on the day-to-day because it's so easy to think oh i just need to buy you know get more product lines whether that's buying more as a reseller or developing more as a private label seller develop more sales channels and that's it but actually that is is really not necessarily true <laughs> because as you say if you're on the wrong ladder then the further you go the more vigorously you go the worse you make the situation and that's actually pretty frighteningly common i think wow yeah i hadn't i hadn't remembered that a seven habits of highly effective people tie in but that is actually a great connection point and so it's fun to kind of link this i guess to stephen covey's work so that's interesting yeah, no, I totally so, agree. It's it's a big deal. Yeah, it is. And and so how does it specifically show up in e-commerce businesses in, in your experience? Yeah, well, I think the, the it's a decision making model that we want to apply to the, the you know many choices inside of our business. But I would just say there's probably a priority list of decisions or, or big choices that you make as a, a founder. And they are they're, you know, kind of the short list of big, big (laughs) ladder traps. And the first, and I'll just mention a few here, and Michael, I'm sure you have some more as well. But the first one I would say is your uh, founding team or your any co-founder arrangement. You know, if you start a business with a partner, you've made a massive decision. And that decision is a big, big, you know, initial ladder that you're climbing up. You're going in one direction with that decision and it becomes increasingly difficult to uh, climb down that ladder and reposition. So that's one. Second one I would say is the niche or industry that you choose. And choosing a niche or industry, if you're a veteran in that industry and then you launch a business into it, you go into it with the full knowledge of who the people are, what they're like, the pros and cons of, you know, the, the customers and uh, the industry. But if you launch a business in an industry that you don't have any background or familiarity with, you're really blind going into it with no idea whether the customers are cool people to you or not cool people to you, whether they're ethical to you or not ethical to you, whether the you know uh, collaborators in your space are going to be cool to work with or not, whether your uh, competitors are going to be ethical and compete kind of, you know, with, you know, kind of, I guess, can you say gentlemen's or gentle people's, you know, ethics? Or are they going to be totally deceptive and evil? And so these are these are big choices related to your niche industry. Uh, you know, another big ladder trap would be the product line you launch. Launch a product line and have it fail and you don't have a ladder trap. But launch a product line and sell six or seven figures of that product and you are stuck into that product. <laughs> so, you know, that's the that's the the challenge with products. It's not if they fail, that's not hard. That's, you know, that's not a big deal. But if they are successful, then you're in a trap. Also financial choices, financing choices, taking out any big loan can be a ladder trap or really any long-term contract that you sign that has financial legal consequence to you, you could say is a, is a ladder trap you need to think through. What are your thoughts on it? You have others to add to the list there? 
Lots, yeah. I've, I've mm-hmm. fallen into a number of ladder traps myself, and and had clients that I see, you know, quite often. So this is actually, yeah, yeah there's just, there's a lot to discuss here. And I, I really think this is of huge value. It, it sounds very negative, but seeing bad things coming and then choosing not to go down a path means that what is left is is more likely to be a good path. And I, I just think it's worth being very mindful about this stuff. I would say a couple of thoughts. First of all, your founding team or co-founder arrangement, business partnerships can be a huge trap. I mean, two basic traps that I've seen a lot. The first phrase I've heard from a business coach, I can't remember who it is. He said, you can't have a good partnership with a bad partner and don't assume the other partner's the bad partner. I've been guilty of that. I've been the <laughs> less committed partner in an e-commerce partnership in the past. And, and yeah. that's not a, a fun thing to admit, but I probably should have said, I'm not going to do this because I haven't got the time and, and bandwidth to do it properly. And, and mm-hmm. looking back, I was embarrassed. Uh, my business partner was a smart, hardworking guy. We were also undercapitalized, other so various other things. But, you know, looking back, it would have been a better decision to, to not work in that particular way. The other trap is that I've done myself to a degree and that I see a lot is that people work in a sort of pod so they duplicate results which is bad or even worse you micromanage each decision and you see that in in dysfunctional marriages to some degree and we, we all have that with modern marriages we don't have these clean divisions that you used to have and you yeah. end up discussing a lot of things but if you do that in a business partnership you crawl forward compared to a competition i i really think that's a very easy trap to fall into particularly if your only model of a two-person operation is a marriage because that's not a good plan to replicate that inefficient yeah. way of working what do you, you know? mean by working a pod explain that phrase to me yeah, what i mean is you, you kind of move around together so you both work on product development for a bit and then you both interfere with you know the, the design and then you both go and fuss about you get samples each uh, and you both yeah. discuss it to the nth degree and then yeah. you both work on okay. marketing and that's just uh, i'm not saying you shouldn't both be involved to a degree but one person needs to be in charge of a particular area yeah. and i think the okay. simple divisions that i've seen that work well two two very simple models to put forward to people to consider and discuss with a business partner if it's new number one is ceo and coo you can both be equal owners of the business but one is in charge of the overall business and one is in charge of operations another one that works very well is somebody's more product and uh, de- product development and sourcing focus and the other one's more marketing focus that can also work i think very well but as long as one person is in charge of a particular area doesn't mean the other person never gets involved but they don't make the final decision yeah you move forward. In my experience, yeah. if you don't, you go around right. in circles a lot. That's a whole podcast in and of itself, yeah, working it in really, pods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the working in pods <laughs> trap. I never heard of that before, but that's yeah. so true. Okay, yeah. what else is on your list of mistakes, ladder trap mistakes? Yeah. Just a couple. I mean, just to reference what you were saying about, you know, if something's succeeding and you've got six product lines there, then then you're going to be trapped. I think sometimes a sort of mediocre, just about surviving business can be the worst trap because it's not bad enough that it fails completely and it forces you to stop doing that and do something different but it's not really working and and i think that's one thing you need to force things one way or the other the other possible traps that i've seen are the business model you're operating particularly a sourcer model if you um start importing stuff from china and your private labeling the time scales which you tie up your money for are really big so that means it takes you a long time to to move the oil tank around if you decide to pivot um the second one is physical and digital products obviously you have a lot of experience of primarily digital product business physical products can if you're not careful about it have characteristics that sort of trap you more easily i think because the money's tied up for longer the other one is products versus services and and that's an interesting one that you can probably speak to more than me because you guys have service side with the memberships and you have your digital products are delivered without you physically being present and if you get that wrong services are not very easy to scale and that can be a real trap for a lot of people and 
one. Yeah. The the fourth one, the final thing is um, something I've got a lot of experience of content marketing, like what we're doing. I, I love our conversations. I don't always love having to sort of put together interviews mm. with, with, I enjoy the interviews, but I don't, I don't ha enjoy having to put that whole machine together, produce content constantly every week. And a lot of types of marketing, like Instagram marketing, Twitter, it, it's here today and it's gone tomorrow versus oh, other yeah. forms of marketing where you create digital assets and then you run them on an automatic basis. So those are different forms of kind of activity trap, if you like. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought of that at all, but you're totally right. I need kind of content marketing. I mean, we're in a podcast trap. People yeah, expect <laughs> us to do a podcast. So that's content marketing traps. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right. They, they do, to a lesser degree, they, they're traps. I would, in rank order, say that those are e more easily to just quit. You know, if, they, if you Sweet. stop tweeting on Twitter and your Twitter followers are bummed out, you're like, so what? But, you know, so, but there's rank order to these, but they're all valid and they're things to consider. Yeah. I mean, I would say if your Twitter followers are bummed out, that's one thing. But if it's a driver of your business traffic, then that's something you can't so easily just take the foot off the gas of. And that's where I would say if you're big on Instagram and Pinterest pin posting, for example, and that requires a lot of manual work, then that would be an example of where that's harder to get out of, really. Totally. So tell me about some concrete, like, let's get personal about this and concrete example from your business of something that felt like a ladder trap, Jason. Mm, okay. All right. For <laughs> confessional time here. Right. I have two examples that come to my mind. One is positive. One is negative, I guess you could say, but both felt like the traps to us. We recently made a decision to basically sign a contract that was a two-year term contract that was basically uh, $36,000 a year. So, so what have 78 grand over two years and it was a contract. Um, and after we did that, we were like, Hmm, I wonder if this was really a wise idea <laughs> because that's a lot of money to come right out of the net profit of our business. And when we debated back and forth, we realized it was a real bear trap or, or ladder trap. We were into it. We signed, we, we made a commitment to a strategy and process and there was no going back without legal consequence. And so, so then we were stuck in and we were like, okay, now, now we have to kind of go down this path. And so that was one example that was just recent. And, you know, as I think about this, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, uh, you know, a good, a good example. The other one in, in our business is, you know, we, we had a, a physical product line that we did for years. It was a, for three years in particular, that was a six figure product line to us. And there were a lot of negatives to it, just a lot of you know, kind of hassles and dramas and, and the profit wasn't there. It was revenue, but not profit so much. And so after three years of commitment to a specific product, we had the hard choice to make, do we want to continue this? And we, you know, because it was, we have multiple streams of income in our business, we were able to say, we're done with this <sighs> in the, in the way where we're doing it. And so then, you know, we, we shuttered it. And we learned our lessons and we've reimagined how to do it differently. And we had real, you know, takeaways that we said to ourselves, okay, we could have learned or did learn, you know, through the school of hard knocks. But that was not a, that was not a fatal business decision. You know, ne neither of these examples in my uh, stories here are fate or fatal, but they're painful. And so I think that's the, you know, the question as it relates to these ladder traps is, you know, some of these can be terminal, you know, you, you start down some of these paths and you're done if you, you know, it, because you can't, you can't, they're not retractable or, or, you know, 
fixable. And so I think I think that's the thing to think through with the you know in, in our businesses. And so anyway, those are a couple examples. Yeah, I like that. I think the retractable or fixable piece is, is actually is something worth deep diving into a bit. Mm-hmm. I, but I should first return you know honor you with that return of some you know, <laughs> airing some dirty washing. I, I would say a couple of classic traps that I've been in and one I would say I'm in now. One is in the private label business products. I think that whole business model was not right for me on my own. Let's put it that way, because mm. a lot of it implications of product development or I, the first thing is I did pure private label, which wasn't even back in 2014, very defensible. So as a business model, I should have either gone further and gone for custom products yeah. or um, just done something simpler like wholesale mm. arrangements, which given my business to business discussion skills, if I'd known about that model would have probably probably suited me better so i did i learned a lot of skills which have stood me in good stead in terms of teaching others who've done a lot better with those than i have and are more comfortable with those like importing from china but it was a business model that demanded a a fundamental orientation that i don't have towards product development i'm just not that passionate about it but the solution now is that i'm developing more sort of loose partnerships with people who are very passionate about that the other one is podcasting content marketing as the lead source for the amazing fba sort of side of things that the coaching consulting and my solution is that i'm just trying to you know wean myself off creating things you know in the daily and weekly view mm-hmm. and trying to create some mm-hmm. books and lead magnets and develop funnels that allow the economics of paid advertising to work really so that's really the the thing that i'm trying to move to which yeah. i guess brings me to the point of of the question of how do we avoid ladder traps in the first place because mm-hmm. obviously you've talked about them being pretty painful no yeah. need to go through that pain if we don't have to so so how do we go about that yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the you know, <laughs> the, uh, the the lessons here turn into almost cliches, and we don't want them to be cliches. But you know, the the old cliche that comes to my mind is an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Mm-hmm. And so some of this thinking is just, you know, prior, you know, not stepping on a ladder trap, you know, step one, don't step on a ladder trap. But but, you know, that's easier said than done. And we all, you know, make these choices and then realize that they were mistakes or errors or challenges or problems. So I think there, there are a set of ideas that you can implement in your business to really mitigate the, the risk. I, I would say the first one is test small and commit small. And I'm, you know, a big fan of thinking things through ahead of time as much as possible to make sure that you're really implementing something that you're actually super excited about. And it's it's got to be one of those things where, you know, is it even rise to the level of a test in your business? I mean, you've got to get better and better at the kind of discretion to say no to stuff. I think of Steve Jobs, you know, he was at Apple. The Mac computer was his big baby. It was a big flop at first, and then he got fired. And then, but when he came back, Apple was in the state of affairs that it had, I, I think, hundreds or even more products. And he famously walked into the conference room and drew a four quadrant grid on the board and said, "These is this is our product strategy." And it was like you know four four machines. And um and so I think the the test small commit small thing is is a real challenge. But you've got to you've got to have a mental discipline to say to yourself, hmm. I like this idea and I am entrepreneurial and I like every idea I have, but this doesn't rise to the occasion. So that's one. The second thing is never get involved in a land war in Asia. <laughs> so just <laughs> a little joke from Princess Bride there. But, you know, some things are just notoriously bad business <laughs> ideas. And, you know, I would put on that, <laughs> that category for me personally, I would put never get involved in a network marketing business or MLM <laughs> business. <laughs> so, you know, so some of these choices are, you know, you, you just have to think through for yourself what looks like a complete and total bad idea to you. But then, you know, the, the other tip, third tip more practically is whenever big money is on the line, 
seek real counsel from professionals and wise advice before you sign anything. And, you know, that that's just, a, I think, a, a sage advice piece. Do not sign on to something unless you've really got a multitude of counselors telling you, yeah, this seems to make sense. This is a good idea, you know. And then my fifth tip would be do not succumb to the marketer's time pressure or scarcity tactics in their marketing. If, it, if it's anything like a service or a, a deal or whatever, don't succumb to high pressure tactics and really think through objectively, is this something I really need? And, and is it something I'm going to install in my business, you know, for the long term? And so those are my four tips for, you know, dealing with how to avoid, you know, what are your thoughts? I really like these. I think test small, commit small is is really wise. Related to that, some business models or product types re, you know, lend themselves to that and some don't, mm-hmm. which says to me, if you don't know what you're doing yet, start with something that will enable you to test it on a small scale, which rules out a lot of stuff, which is really helpful. If you have too much choice, then things that rule out most options are very helpful filters, contrary to what you might uh, expect. Having lots of options is not better for choice making. It really isn't. Mm-hmm. It feels like it should be. So for me, that would rule out private label as a, a first choice in e-commerce, even though a lot, lots of people I know have done incredibly well in it, but mostly because they started with retail arbitrage or latterly quite a few of my clients are going mm-hmm. from wholesale deals, like doing a million dollars a year in wholesale and then adding private label products. They have cash flow, they have expertise. So anything yeah. that doesn't allow yeah. a small start it's something to be at least very mindful of. Well, in that other, situation, yeah. if I can just speak into that situation Please. for a moment, then what they started with was a niche or industry that in a, with a business model, they could start small wholesale mm. selling, maybe yeah. with a minimum MOQ or something like that. And then they learned the niche or industry. And then they added a higher risk sourcing strategy or business model to what they already had complementary going, which is very smart tactic. It's like incrementally stepping your way into a niche with product strategies that are, you know, more complicated or harder to execute on, but you've got the background and expertise and hopefully a list of customers and, and all that kind of thing. So mm. I think there's a lot of wisdom there. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's a, it's a good example of mitigating your risk going into, you know, making sure the ladder is leaned up against the right tree and then, then stepping up the rungs of it, you know? Yeah. Well, I guess that kind of implies part of the solution as well as the, the prevention thing, which is two sides of the same coin. Like, I mean, trying to avoid setting yourself up for failure in the first place, I guess is what we're discussing, but also you don't necessarily know going in. So don't make a massive commitment. And mm-hmm. talking of which a related, but not quite the same point, Seth Godin, I think is a, fa- a big fan of setting a specific amount of money and or specific time frame, preferably both after which you make a no-go decision. Um, a, a go or no go and a go mm-hmm. or kill decision but you set that up in advance which is so smart because psychologically you're going to be you're going to be sunk in the sunk cost fallacy by the time you get a year into something if you're private labeling something or if you created a business that mm-hmm. takes a lot of effort like a shopify store yeah. you've got a lot of creativity gone into it you've worked so hard to get your traffic yeah you need to have some hard numbers where you've discussed that in advance like okay where do we call this if it yeah. isn't profitable or isn't making revenue or whatever it is by a certain point do you do you have a point where you cut it off? And that's, so, those are not easy decisions. Yeah, I totally agree. Sunk cost fallacy is a huge part of this. So you want to walk through a little bit of that because there's two pieces in my mind. One is the 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 money that you've spent. Hmm. The other piece of it is your time is a yes. sunk cost as well, and you have that around your your head. You know, it's like a, it's like a, a you know, whatever. It's just a, the weight on your shoulders is how much time you've spent on some strategy. Yeah. That you have to walk away from so yeah that's a huge I, part I of think it. you're right Let, let's let's talk about that then since you're mentioning it. i think the third part of the sunk cost fallacy is is really 
hard to get your head around and your pride's going to want to tell you that it doesn't exist if you're a, a you know a straight male which is emotional sunk cost it's mm -hmm. hard to admit to yourself that what you've been doing for a year is just wrong but it's hard to admit to yourself sometimes or for me anyway maybe i'm just undeveloped but it's hard to admit to yourself <laughs> that it's hard to admit to yourself you think like oh i'm a businessman i'm i'm a hunter-gatherer alpha male i am not driven by emotion but of course the truth is of course i am and I'm an artistic type, at least I'm going fall back on that and go, oh, well, of course, I'm emotional. So I think that emotional sunk cost can sometimes be the worst. Mm -hmm. The unwillingness to go, I was wrong and I committed time and effort and made promises to my wife or family or whatever it is. Right. And you've got to go, OK, I was wrong. And you've got to say mm -hmm. to other people, I'm sorry, I was wrong, but I'm going to you know, adjust and, and iterate and, and work towards fixing it. Well, the motions that you're talking about are pride, ego. <laughs> Yeah. Also, you have to 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 walk away from something. You have to admit that you were wrong. So there's a degree of humility there to say, I messed up, especially if you have a team around you. It's one thing if you're a kitchen table entrepreneur by yourself. It's another thing if you've got a team member or, or a larger team that you've rallied their enthusiasm in support of your idea you've 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 focused them and their energy and effort on an idea and all of that is sunk cost then if you abandon the the idea and and so that's a huge part of this because your your status as a leader and all of those elements go into that whole emotional equation which is a, it's a big problem i mean it's a, it's a big reason why people don't step back off these ladders yeah. and untangle themselves out of them. It reminds me of the Stockdale paradox, which is one of the Jim Collins things that he mentions in Good to Great, or one of his books, which I believe I've even got it written up here because I'm on a board here because I find it such a great go-to. He talks about the Stockdale paradox, which I believe Jim Stockdale was, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you know different, he, mm -hmm. he was a prisoner of war in, I think, Vietnam. Vietnam. Yeah. Uh, there are multitudes of foreign wars that the Americans have, you could choose. <laughs> and uh, he survived by believing, by being brutally honest with himself, but also having faith that he would find his way out of the situation. And I think that that mentality mix is really hard, but that is really 100% what, what an entrepreneur needs is you've got to have faith that you'll work mm -hmm, your way out of it, mm -hmm. but equally admit the truth. <laughs> yeah. And uh, some of the great business leaders are very obsessed with the word truth, whatever that means. And, and Jeff mm -hmm. Bezos is, for example, one of those. So he was an optimistic realist, not a delusional, <laughs> like pessimist. He he was yeah. being very honest about his circumstance, but also had the hope of the future. Yeah. I think so. If that's my understanding, I mean, obviously there are probably very deep psychological studies mm -hmm. that may disagree, but as a general principle, I think that that works. Yeah. The talking of which, talking of um, stepping outside your own head, I think your idea of wise advice is really, really important. I mean, yeah. the, the yeah. thing is a lot of entrepreneurs seem to go veer between, I wanted to fire my boss, why would I ask anyone's opinion? And just following what the guru says. And, and neither, mm -hmm. I think, is right. You have to have your own intuition instincts. And those will get better over time. You're going to learn from mistakes. And that's just mm -hmm. the best way to learn. But it's the most painful way to learn. However, it's really super smart to talk to lawyers, but particularly accountants. And small business accountants, in my experience, who've been around the block for a few decades, have seen a lot of things come and go. And they will have seen patterns. And they can pass those patterns on to you. They're by their nature somewhat risk-averse people, so they aren't always going to be the people whose advice you slavishly follow. But at least getting a sense of their view, I, I just think is an incredibly yeah. good plan. And, and few of us talk to our accountants enough, I think.
Hey folks, thank you for listening to another episode of the e-commerce leader. I hope you enjoyed thinking this one through as much as I did. I think it's such it's not an easy and emotionally easy or intellectually easy topic to talk about, I would say, but it's really important because I see a lot of pain in businesses that I've run and that my clients are running right now that I feel can be avoided or really massively reduced. And that's the great good news. I think once you recognize that you're in what uh, is sometimes called the activity trap, that is working away day to day, month to month, even year to year, managing people or doing tasks yourself that don't produce the outcome you want, then you can start to see, hang on, I'm we've propped our ladder against the wrong wall to, to continue Jason's metaphors. And I think this is really, really important stuff to think through. And above all, I would say if you're in operations in a business, chances that you are to some extent leaning against the wrong wall or going in the wrong direction are quite high. It's worth revising whether you're really getting out of your business what you want and whether other people, um, you know, other stakeholders like investors or your family or your employees or indeed your customers or, or clients, whether they're getting out of the business what you really would want them to have. And if not, to have a good hard look at the business. A few things that you can look at that Jason's flag, your founding team or your co-founder arrangement, your niche industry, your product line, your financing choices, for example, loans or contractual arrangements or any long-term contracts worth revisiting any one of those things. I would also say think about the sourcing model you've got, the business model in particular, product type, physical versus digital, products versus services and your marketing approach and particularly for me, for an example, content marketing, creating all the time versus ad driven or, or sort of more asset based. So a lot of people try to drive traffic through organic traffic like SEO uh, that requires a lot of work. Other people work on ad driven stuff. Neither is right or wrong, but they could be ways of operating that have kind of locked you in in a way that's not helpful. So if that's the case, then do go through and, and have a listen to the next episode where we focus a bit more on some solutions, how to avoid ladder traps a bit more. And also if you're in one, what do you do to pivot your way out? And unfortunately there are lots of sort of partial and even whole solutions to this stuff, but it's worth taking a good hard look. It requires a certain maturity and I hope that you have the strength to do this, maybe not in the middle of Q4, but a great time to do this would be after the Q4 craziness has died down. If it's a big time of year for you as it is for many of us then january or february is a natural time to reflect on our learnings and what worked what didn't and hopefully the sunk cost fallacy if it's come up in your business is something that you become aware of and that you then you know manage in the right way the good news is on the other side of these hard choices and difficult actions at the sort of big picture level is a lot of big big future wins jason's an example of that with pixie fair and uh, i think that's the really heartening thing to take away from this as ever folks if you have uh, listened to this and you think that jason or myself could help you with your business. Jason uh, works with Kyle Hamer, who I've personally worked with in the past, a fantastic guy who Kyle focuses on the Amazon and, and Walmart side. Jason focuses on Shopify, branding, marketing, and strategy. If you want to work with those guys, uh, go to winningonshopify.com. They have one-to-one -one mentoring. And these days, they also have a very cool small group, which I've had the honor of being a member of in the past and uh, really great discussion quality there and an insight, as you'd expect from Jason. If you want to work with me, perhaps you're over this side of the pond in the UK or Europe. I've worked with people in America, but they generally tend to be UK, Europe, um, 
the one-to-one mentoring I offer. You can find out about at amazingfba.com forward slash mentoring. And for the masterminds that I run, if you want to join the 10K Collective Mastermind, which is if you've got 40 or $50,000 or pounds or euros per month revenue in your business, private label or wholesale type business, go to www.theamazonmastermind.com. And if you want to check out the new um, six-figure masterminds, I'm calling it for those doing at least six figures a year, so about $10,000 or euros or pounds per month, minimum revenue, then just email me. That's about to kick off very soon. We're we're gathering people as we speak. Michael at amazingfba.com. That's Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L at amazingfba.com. If those weren't enough calls to actions, the, the final thing to say is the obvious thing for any podcaster, which is don't forget to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, or all the other places we are. And if you like what we're saying, a great way to reward us for that for absolutely free is to just go to Apple Podcasts if you use that at all and just give us a rating out of five stars. You don't even need to write anything. Just just hit the button on the ratings and that really, really helps us to help future e-commerce leaders and get the message out to as many people as possible. Thank you so much for listening to The E-Commerce Leader Show. That was The E-Commerce Leader Podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England and Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products, and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.